Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. All things Chelsea, keeping you up to date on the latest news from Stamford Bridge. Match recaps, previews, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. It's the London is Blue podcast. Here's your hosts, Brandon, Dan, and Nick. Welcome back, Chelsea fans. We're back with another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Back to our usual time, some recording on Sundays with Nick and Dan. I apologize, guys, for missing last week. That was that was on me, but Dan, I appreciate you stepping in at the last minute and taking those host duties over. Oh, it's like Eden Hazard filling in for Murata, right, Nick? Yeah, just very natural. You know, no problem, no issue. Yeah, no. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, it was a nice false nine equivalency for the pod, so I think we, we pulled it off okay. So to clarify, Dan just compared himself to Eden Hazard. Got it. He did. Okay. He did. No, no pressure on me now. No pressure. Not the first time either, by the way. So as most of you know, on social media, we post this. Uh, we have an exciting guest joining us. Uh, we've got Chris Fowler with ESPN. Uh, most of you probably know him from college game day and a lot of college football. Uh, so instead of American football today, we're going to really focus on more of the European international football. Uh, welcome to the pod, Chris. My pleasure, guys. Yeah, I think this is cool. I, if we were talking American football, I probably wouldn't take time out because I do enough of that. But anytime I get a chance to talk Chelsea, uh, I, I'm in. 
We are blessed. Hashtag blessed on the show. Thanks for joining. <laughs> That's fun. I, I enjoy the podcast. I enjoyed the one from London. I think it's very cool how you guys initially connected on Twitter. That's how I guess you found me. It's how I found lots of Chelsea fans on social media. So it's a it's a nice way to stay connected. Uh, we love it, obviously. Uh, our humble beginnings from there. Uh, and, and it's just grown, obviously. Uh, like you said, sourcing guests, um, talking with other fans and things. Uh, we, we enjoy it for the most part. Um, we do have a few iTunes reviews. Dan, so real quick, want to give a quick shout out for leaving that uh, favorable five-star review. Yeah, it actually was from Jay Swain, 17. So we'd won this week. And he actually said that we're not only his favorite uh, football or soccer podcast, we're actually his favorite sports podcast overall. Whoa. So uh, definitely some high praise. Too kind. And Too kind. always, we will uh, we will read those out at the beginning of the show if you uh, drop a little five-star uh, across the globe through iTunes. And obviously, you all know that we're presented by World Soccer Shop. A really cool story, I think, that we want to do. Uh, instead of just a normal plug, Nick, uh, we were able to help out a, a listener, a fellow Chelsea fan, all thanks to World Soccer Shop. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of our, our big-time fans, Jeremy, uh, shot us a, a quick DM earlier in the week and uh, you know, just was kind of giving us some backstory on a, a child that they've adopted through like a, a Christmas giving program, which is amazing in and of itself, but that this uh, kid had kind of fallen on some hard times and that he was a major uh, soccer fan and that for some reason he had a, a Spurs jersey, which we were like, well, we, we got to do better than that. So uh, <laughs> we, en we ended up uh, contacting World Soccer Shop, who, who gave generously uh, back to Jeremy so that they could... Uh, uh, send uh, send this kid home with some proper Chelsea stuff and uh, and pretty much all the necessities he would need Dan to uh, to get his game going right. Yeah, shin guard, uh, you know, uh, ball, uh, full full kit, you know, which is not a bad thing for a child to do. For an adult, it's a little bit of a different issue. But uh, all the credit in the world to World Soccer Shop for being a really great partner, helping Jeremy out and helping this uh, this young child out too. All right. Well, again, thank you to World Soccer Shop. Um, but let's go ahead and jump into the match. Obviously, the match this weekend was Southampton, Premier League match. Uh, we we're back at home at Stanford Bridge. It was this past Saturday, December 16th. Blues won, Saints zero. We did have one correct score prediction on Facebook. Congratulations, Adekunle. Um, but lineup time. So we've kind of talked a little bit about this, Dan. Obviously, uh, three five one one was the new iteration uh, with Conte this year. Uh, last two three weeks, now we've been back to the three four three slash three four two one. Yeah, we saw Thibaut Courtois take his usual place, the only Chelsea player to have played every minute in the Premier League this season. As Quetta, Christensen, Gary Cahill comes back in for Rudiger. Victor Moses, N'Golo Kante, Bakayoko, and Alonso take in the center, while William, Pedro, and Hazard, who had terrorized Huddersfield, uh, come back in to play up top. And we did see some appearances from Zavacosta, Fabregas, and a little cameo from Murata, and that uh, hair that will not be moved in, uh, in the match as well. Shall not be moved. You shall not pass Gandalf. Boom. So I think from the, the lineup standpoint, um, Chris, just want to bring in here on this, you know, we've seen a couple different differentiations from the two man midfield from Conte, especially with, but we've always got Conte is the rock. Uh, Bakioko has been up and down the last few weeks, uh, but I guess anything stood out to you with this lineup? 
Well, obviously, it puzzled me like a lot of people not to see Morata in there. Um, is he if he's healthy? I think you want to see him feature. Um, for me, Pedro stood out. I mean, he was he you know Moses in the wing. Pedro was actively pressing forward, being dynamic. I think in the middle, which you want him to do if you're gonna if you're gonna use this kind of a lineup and put Azar where he was. I think you want to see Pedro do do what he did, which was which is motor box to box and threaten and probe and 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 you know, deliver some nice balls. I, I thought that they started nicely. I thought that, uh, you know, that when you look at what Southampton brings, I mean, there's there's a club that has had no success against bigger clubs, yet to me, you know, brought some energy, brought some belief, especially early. They were battling for possession. I thought that, uh, you know, it wasn't a park-the-bus kind of thing. I mean, not as much as you might expect, given their standing. So I thought it was, it was a nice start, and then they kind of settled in, and I thought that, you know, both the lineup and the atmosphere was a little bit stale and, and people were kind of waiting for things to happen uh, at one point in the game. But I, you know, in, in the end, um, I, th- I thought the lineup, despite some initial reservations, they did okay. I mean, they did what they're supposed to do. You take the points. Could there have been more than one goal? Of course. Um, the finishing still concerns me, not, not in a match like this, but against bigger clubs. Um, but, um, you know, it, I think that, you know, if, if Forster hadn't been, hadn't been good, it could have been three or four nothing. Well, I know, and that's what we've been seeing for the last few seasons. Goalkeepers just stepping up the level against Chelsea. <laughs> I know. Um, all right, well, I mean... Is like, it that, though, or is it lack of finishing? I mean, you can always well, look at both sides of the coin. I mean, I, I think he was good. I mean, I mean you, could, you could quibble about the goal. I mean, that was just a, it was a beautiful free kick. Um, you could say that he misaligned the wall and all that, but that's still a perfect clinical curling free kick just outside the wall inside the post. I don't put that on him that much. I thought he played well, but, but I still want to see better finishing. I think, I think if you look at all the metrics and, and we can get into this more later if you want to, but they're, they're creating for me, sufficient chances. They're just, you need to finish more efficiently. That's, that's what separates, I think them from certainly what city's doing and some of the other top clubs in the world that you have to be a little bit more efficient and finish when you get the chance. Definitely. I, I would agree with that. I think that yeah, as you talked about Pedro and we'll get into the, the goals and kind of the, the rundown here, but as you talked about Pedro specifically, he did have one really clear cut chance to, uh, to bury it kind of near post and it just got unlucky kind of bounced out off the post that kind of stuff will happen um i think he was he was unlucky to be uh to be substituted yesterday though because i think uh, you're right he did play pretty well yeah he's one of the main guilty parties i would say he does he does get chances um, you know, scored the other day, but after after he scored, I thought he had a couple other chances he didn't finish, and and that that's sort of his mo a little bit for me. But um, I, I was impressed. I thought he was a he had a high motor and, and actually played well the other day. I mean, Pedro's obviously coming off a really good season last year. Uh, quite a few goals for us. You know, for whatever reason, he's been more of a bit part player this season. Um, but I think that. What you see different with the three four three versus the three five one one is when you can get William and Pedro in there, uh, they bring a higher level of energy. I think that we get and we're able to press more. Um, I, I noticed that Alonso was much farther up in attack than we've seen in the three five one one. I think that's because he had the cover from William and Pedro and those guys to pin their defenders back. Where when it's only two up top. We're just not able to press, even if Fabregas is that extra midfielder in there. Uh, so to me, I mm-hmm. think that that's something that the three four three it allows these guys to do. 
All right. Well, I think that let's go ahead and dig in a little bit, uh, kind of like what you're talking about, uh, Chris, with the shots and everything that Chelsea are doing. So obviously, this is the second week in a row using the three four three, and you know, this is also the second week we haven't really had a true striker up top. So, um, Nick, what did you make of the system today in terms of the quality of play and chances created? Uh, as noted, Chelsea had 24 shots, eight of them on target. I, th- I thought the system was okay. Um, I th- you know, as it compared to Huddersfield, it didn't really uh, have the same sparkle. You know, I think uh, Dan. One of the things that I looked at as we as we played Southampton is that they're, I think, a little bit more disciplined defensively than Huddersfield probably was, and all the back heel flicks and things that um, the front three were trying um, on Tuesday just weren't really coming off in the same manner. And I think Chelsea found it hard up front to. Uh, to generate any sort of kind of quick passing game. Yeah, you know, I think we talked about the the clinicality of the finishing. You know, when you have you know 272 shots kind of in total this season, and you've also only scored you know 32 goals, you know, there, there's a higher likelihood that we are probably you know to Chris's point having an issue taking the shot and actually converting it because even though a Forster or um, whomever has decided to to step up in goal when we play them, it, it is a little concerning, and and I think you know ultimately is due to some of the rotation between you know, Murata kind of health, you know Mishi not being you know a super reliable backup or trusted by you know Antonio Conte, and then Hazard having been injured for a long time this season. Yeah, you know, we we really haven't found I think a good form in front of goal to the point I think you're making Chris, and I, I think you know it, it is a little concerning. Yeah, you got guys in and out of the lineup too, as, as you guys know. Continuity is important. If you you have to maintain, I mean, some consistency, some rhythm, and you you, you put guys in and out there, whether it's injuries or or just the capricious lineups that Conte likes to deal with sometimes. I mean, I think it's difficult sometimes to in that particular position to to have the the consistency in finishing. But it but it's a for me, it's a problem for a number of guys, and you you've listed most of them. But that that sort of inefficiency. Um, is a real concerning it's bigger teams i mean for sure well i you know i think that one thing that was taken for granted last season was just the amount of goals that the team shipped in i mean while diego costa led the line very well um pedro had a bunch of goals hazard chipped in with quite a few uh even Cahill. Cahill, yeah i mean and alonzo on free kicks and things and I think that that's just taken a lot more time to get up and running. Alonso obviously scored again today. Uh, Pedro scored um, a couple months ago off that corner kick where they found him at the top of the box. But it's just not been as frequent. And while Morata had a really good start to the season, um, we have changed system. But unlike last season, we're changing back and forth, right? Like last season, we went on the 13-match win streak. It was same lineup, same formation, Every single time, Chelsea knew what they are going to do. Much more adapting and changing and chopping and lineup shifts and different stuff based on who's healthy, who's not suspended, um, and and our opponents. So I think it's a little different approach this season from Conte in in that regards. How heavily do you criticize him? Part of that was forced upon him for the reasons you stated. Part of it is just that he is... He is searching and groping and, and, and maybe making changes that are not completely necessitated by health and, and other player availability to 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 his fault, maybe. Yeah, I mean, 
he's he's also playing a little bit of the victim card with the board too. Uh, he didn't get everyone he wanted. Um, you noticed that? <laughs> oh yeah. I, oh, I hate that. I hate that part of world soccer. I really do. I can't stand that. I it just it's just. Um, it's something we just don't see in other sports. Something I try, I struggle to explain to other people how the, the internal politics plays such a big role all the time. And, and when, in what he says to the press and the lineups and the substitutions, uh, it, it seems there's no way to, to escape it at a club like Chelsea. It comes up a lot. Um, do you think it has anything to do with like the disparity? Obviously, United and then City just blowing transfers out. And then you have other clubs that don't have as rich of owners or unwilling to put that much money into it. Whereas in American sports, a lot of times you have salary caps. So it's a much more even playing field. Yeah, that's a big question. I think in the specific case of Conte and, and um, Roma and, and Chelsea, it's, it's pouting a little bit. It's not getting what he wanted. It's not getting what a lot of us wanted in the summer. And, and the way to to make your point as the January window approaches is to make certain comments, um, make certain lineup adjustments to try to show to the world and the board and your owner the shortcomings and the needs. And I'm OK with that to a certain degree, but it's just it's so prevalent and it's a little bit frustrating. It's almost like this, this parallel plot line to what's going on, the results on the field, and then what's being said and the, the, and the points that are trying to be made and the, and the maneuvering for, for transfers. I mean, listen, I, should they make moves? Yes. Do they need help? Yes. But I guess it just goes hand in hand with the, the, like I said, the internal politics and the choices made to try to prove points. Well, I would equate this to Chris, like you, you, the great Bill Parcells comment about, you know, if you're being asked to cook the dinner, you should be able to buy the groceries. Right. Uh, I think that he, uh, Antonio Conte, would like to uh, be able to buy the groceries if he's being expected to make the meal. And he knows uh, pretty well that that's just not how the setup is at Chelsea. So. Uh, you know, I guess in your perspective, as you would equate it to, like, say, American football, what's his best course of action besides just winning every match? <laughs> Why is winning every match his best course of action? I mean, I, I mean, he's, you know, they've done well. I mean, whether they got twenty five points in the last ten games, I mean, one one loss to West Ham, you can't do a lot better than that in that stretch. But yeah, I, I think that. You know, whatever groceries you're able to buy or are bought for you, you still have to do the best you can to cook the meal. I, I, and you can't complain about it because your customer doesn't care. I mean, you, you, I, I think you still have to do your job. Um, you know, the NFL is such a different animal than than, than world soccer. But, you know, I, I think you, you have to continue to press and you have to continue to try to get the guys in January that will make a difference, perhaps with, with uh, a very, very difficult – Champions League draw against Barca looming, then I could have chased down City. And I, I think that it, when, you know, when uh, Conte says that, that's interpreted as meaning, well, they're, they're throwing in the towel or I, I, we don't have a chance with this lineup. So it's a, if you're going to do anything, uh, we, need, we need to make desperate, drastic moves. But I don't, I don't frankly see them catching City. But, you know, it, everything to me, there, there's almost like political subtext to everything that's said and done at a club like that. Maybe that's just that's just part of being at Chelsea where they've had, you know, what five manager changes in about five years. Dan, I guess where do you where do you weigh in on this, especially with uh, you know uh, the the Conte and the transfers and, and everything? Are we, I mean, obviously 
we all know where City stand. Uh, that's a tall order, but there's still a lot to play <laughs> for, you know, this season for sure. Oh, there, there's two cup competitions we're in in addition to the, the Champions League. And I think it's outside of an unprecedented City run, because what they are doing is, is unprecedented, that, you know, Chelsea at 38 points, United at 41 points, people would be talking about, you know, how incredible this start is to this season if, you know, it was a City, United, Chelsea bunching that was a little more closely connected from a point structure. So ultimately, I think there's an element of pouting you know, to what, what Chris said, but I think there's also a, a, a healthy dose of realism that maybe isn't always interpreted the right way that, you know, to expect us to catch City outside of massive injury or uh, you know turmoil, which doesn't seem to be on the cards for them, that we you know, will find ourselves close to them, I think is, is unrealistic. And I think fair of, you know, our manager to say, and ultimately then, puts us on to focus for, you know, what we can do in these cup competitions. Like we have one match coming up against Bournemouth and then also in the Champions League. And that's where, you know, maybe some kind of conversation around acquiring the right talent to be ready to face Barcelona, uh, you know, players that would potentially not be cup tied, uh, individuals that we could actually slot into a starting position or to give us additional depth would uh, would really you know go go far i think to helping you know make conte feel a little bit better heading into january and then heading into summer yeah i mean at this point last year six points clear if you took that that same point total at this point i mean you'd be you'd still be six points behind city i mean that, that's how good what they're doing is you're right unprecedented is exactly the way to put it Dennis. and then you have to be real about that it, it's it's really extraordinary. You have to, you know, you have to tip your cap. I don't, I don't like City. I like them a lot better than United. I prefer them to win the, to win the title over United or, or one of the other London clubs if, if it's not going to be Chelsea. But, but uh, what they're doing is astounding. Um, I mean, Pep has got them. I think they're they're not going to let down. They're not going to collapse. They're not going to come apart. How many injuries would it take for them to come back to the pack? I mean, I, I think that's why it's. And here we are. 11. Not even <laughs> that, then the bus has to go off the road or something is what you're saying, which we don't want. But of course, of course not. No, 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 no. But uh, no, I mean, I, they, they seem pretty bulletproof at this point because they have a, a very, very impressive mentality about not letting their guard down. Super professional. If you listen to what they say after every match, before every match there. They they do not seem like a club that's going to start coasting and then and then uh, let down their guard and collapse to me anyway. Well, you know, kind of as we look at the other the other top teams, you know, we're talking about how Chelsea weren't as clinical as probably we would like. We said maybe there's fatigue. Is it too much rotation? Uh, I'm not really sure, but we did get a tweet from um, at DRC two six three three zero five saying, "What's up with the finishing? It's poor." We should be winning these games by five goals, but instead they right. look like Arsenal. Right. Do, you, do you think every every fans of every team in the world says that? Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe. Right, of course. <laughs> and this is where we are super biased and passionate about it. Um, no, there is, is, that, is that is that guy from the states? Has he seen our national soccer team or anything? I just I don't know. Right. Chris, Chris, don't cut me deep on the show now. Come on. <laughs> As we go see Pulisic with another fantastic goal uh, yesterday for Dortmund. So good yesterday. Um, but kind of with this, you know, obviously Chelsea, like every other team, are playing matches three or four days. And Dan, you you pulled the numbers here. Like we're not the only team with players in the 1,500, 1,300 minutes played this season, are we? No. You know, when you look at, uh, you know, our club kind of compared to others. So 
Tebow is the only uh, individual in De Gea amongst, you know, or in Lukaku, which is, is surprising. I, don't, I didn't expect to see him up there at 1620 so far. Uh, and then, you know, within Chelsea of two others above 1500 in Alonso and Azpilicueta. And when you look at, you know, Manchester City, you know, you have Otamendi, you have De Bruyne, and very close to Fernandinho. And then you have a couple uh, in Valencia and Matic who have played over 1,500 minutes in the league this season for United. So, you know, th- there are some individuals who are kind of slotted in in a couple of these teams. You know, Chelsea have nine players over 1,000 minutes played. Yeah, City has 10 players over 1,000 minutes. And then United has uh, eight players over 1,000 minutes contributed to the far of the season. And that's not even considering the fact that they all these teams have been in Champions League matches, have been in League Cup matches. Uh, so you know, ultimately, there, there is some rotation that's occurred. But you know, there are some pretty solid starting lineups amongst the top uh, top three clubs. The other thing, I guess, that I want to point out is, as we talked about people scoring, last season Costa ended with uh, 20, Hazard was 16, Pedro 9, William 8. Those are top four. This year, Morata, we're one game away from halfway to kind of give you a, a sense of if they're on pace. Morata's got nine, Hazard is in second on five, Alonso on four, and Pedro with three. So I guess this kind of goes back to the fact that our players are playing as many minutes, Nick, uh, we're creating definitely enough chances, but outside of Morata being pretty close to on pace with Costa's goals tally last season, everyone else is off the pack. Yeah, and I think that you've started to see in the last uh, maybe month, month and a half, that Hazard has really tried to step up his shooting game, uh, really tried to create chances for himself and then uh, interchange with others to, to take his shot, which is good to see. Uh, Pedro and William and um, you know someone even like Marcus Alonso you know chipping in is is good I think they need a little bit more consistency you know had we not had injuries to Hazard and Murata and and N'Golo Conte and Victor Moses and down the list we go you know you could see a little bit different picture there you know a little bit more consistency from the starting 11 could probably breed better attacking play but uh, overall I mean we're not we're not super far off, right, uh, Chris? I mean, this isn't a team that is is super desperate for, you know, it's not like we're a, a Burnley who can only win 1-0. You know, it's just that we have the chances, we're just not actually taking them. Well, I agree with that, but I think that that also breeds other things. When you're not taking your chances early, when you're not imposing yourself the way that a city is doing right now, the way that Chelsea has done in the past, um, not always, but many of the the, the the better Chelsea sides have been the sort that will come out and impose itself on opponents quickly, not fail on those chances, but grab them. Then you'll see, I think, tactics have to change on the opponent's side. They'll get more desperate. They'll lose belief. It'll begin to leak away. What bothers me now is that you're seeing opponents come in and play with belief and play with energy and hang in and and believe that their game plan of of trying to take things into the last 15 or 20 minutes and and steal one on the counter or create one on a set piece. I mean, if, if you give teams the belief and let them play that way and, and show signs that that can succeed, I think you're going to have a harder time. You're going to have to work much harder. You're going to have to sweat out these these games like Southampton where, you know, you're just a, uh, an unlucky 
play away from from losing two points at any point in, in that game. And I, I think that, that that's where I think the finishing is important. I mean, you don't have to win four or five to nothing, but you have to be able to take your chances and then you can immediately take control and shift shift the, the, the tempo of the game and force opponents out of their comfort zone. And to me, I want to see that happen a lot more often if you're a Chelsea fan. Well, absolutely. I mean, Southampton still had chances at the end. I mean, you can hit a long ball, run onto it, and maybe something goes for you. I mean, I remember that, you know, we, we've seen it multiple times this season. Uh, not obviously much last season, but you just leave yourself open to potentially give up goals at the end. And when it's only one, um, the, it's pretty tight. Uh, I had one question I guess I want to pass around to you guys. Um, with the 3-4-3, obviously William, Pedro, and Hazard, there's a lot more giving goes in the box, a lot more small passes, a lot more movement. Whereas when we play with the three five one one with Murata and Hazard, I feel like we are a lot more direct, right? We try to play a big ball into Murata, let him try to struggle, bring it down. Otherwise, if it's on the ground, he can flick onto Hazard. Um, but I feel like we just have a very different style of attack with these. And I know there's different people, but like seeing some of the the plays that are intricate in in the passing and the movement today, it's, it's a lot better to watch personally for me. But I just don't know if these three guys can do that against the bigger teams or maybe even bigger defenders. Dan, I, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? That's, that's quite the loaded question there, Brandon. It's pretty. Um, <laughs> I like watching it, but... It, it is it is pretty, and it has worked. And, you know, It's interesting, though, as you look at how it worked against Huddersfield, where we had almost, what, 1,000 touches on the ball, you know, about 767 this past match. So... Yeah, it's, it's, it's attractive uh, football. I, I do personally like the interchange between Murata and Hazard, maybe a little bit better uh, from a, a watch standpoint. And I, I will say just back to the clinicality piece for just a moment. So we're, we're, we've converted about 31 and a half of our shots on target. City has confer- converted about 40%. And then United actually have converted about 45% of their shots on target this season. So if you're looking at some of the clinicality differences between the two, now we've, we've scored more goals, um, you know, so and then, then a couple teams, but we have scored less than both United and City so far this season. And you know, they're the two that are ahead of us from a point total. So I think whatever the lineup is, whether it's a three at the top, a two at the top, uh, th- there's an answer to our problems. And it's, uh, it's more goals to go with our, uh, our defensive stoutness that has found form. All right. Um, I guess Chris, Nick, either of you guys. I, I personally prefer the three five one one for the most part. You know, I, I do feel like to to your point, Brandon, it is a lot of fun to watch the back heel flicks and the intricate passing uh, if a team will let you do it. But we've seen uh, in the past that, especially against your your top six teams, and that is inclusive of Burnley, um, that there has been a, a real struggle to. Uh, break down, you know, when, when three defenders are surrounding Hazard uh, in that kind of fashion, there's not a whole lot of room to to get fancy. So I think a more direct approach, um, you know, with some through balls and with Sass kind of uh, orchestrating everything from midfield, that that kind of leads Chelsea to play some pretty attractive football as well, just a little bit different. But I don't know what you think, Chris. Yeah, pretty football is nice. Everybody wants to be entertained. Um, we all know this is not, you know, boring, boring Chelsea. The, however, you, which, whichever option you just outlined, I think you're going to produce some attractive play and some chances. I, I, I think that you, you have to be able to be direct, though, at times when when 
a little back heel flicks and all that stuff's not working well. I mean, you, you're talking about all the competitions we have to have. You're going to play so many different styles of opponents, so many different levels of talent and so many different philosophies back there that you have to be able to do it all. I mean, you have to be able to score goals in, in a direct, straightforward manner, being clinical when you have the chances. And, and you know, it, it's it's fun against the Huddersfields and other opponents to be able to flick it around and have, you know, but you're never going to be Barcelona, but, you, you know, everybody likes attractive football. So, uh, but but to me, you know, I, I sort of prefer, I want I want to see Murata in there. I want, I want to see Murata and Azar working together in there. That, that for me is... I can't I can't see it soon enough. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, kind of see how the rest of this month plays out. Plenty of matches left and we'll see how Conte kind of rotates or changes that. Obviously, Murata was sick, had some wasn't feeling the best. Probably I just wanted to give him an ample time to recover. But speaking of Murata uh, and the front three, the big missing piece out of all of this is Mishi Batshuayi. So if he can't play when Murata isn't healthy, it only makes sense that he'll either leave permanently or be loaned out in January. And obviously, I want to clarify, I don't think Mishi is going to be sold unless a replacement is brought in first. Uh, So Nick, I guess, what do you think about Mishi's kind of future? It's a little bit of the same as last season. I know he's got more total minutes, but he's still not playing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we we can make a pretty sensible conclusion that uh, he uh, probably won't have a major future at Chelsea as long as Antonio Conte is there. I, I just don't think that the system allows for Misha to do what he does best, which is poach. Um, so if, if that is the case, and if he's not getting playing time, and if he's training you know, hard every day and still can't find any minutes, then alone makes a lot of sense. You know, I think that to your point, Brandon, that if we don't, we we can't afford to lose another striker, Uh, I'll throw that out there without replacing him. So unless there's a really quality replacement uh, brought in in January, which is kind of tough to see at this point, then, uh, you know, he he probably won't be sold and and it's just going to be there. Uh, kind of in the uh, the break uh, break the glass if needed kind of moment. So, um, Dan, I don't know what you think about that, but that is certainly kind of where I stand. No, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Ultimately, he's a young player. He's going to want to play in the World Cup coming up for for Belgium and get an opportunity to play there. And if he looks you know up at Manchester and sees Lukaku scoring goals, he knows that his opportunity to uh, be a star contributor in that regard is going to be in jeopardy. He's Ultimately. not seeing Lukaku score many goals at this point, but I'll say that. <laughs> at, least, at least today he found him scoring one. Yeah, he did, so. thankfully. Uh, yeah, uh, it was a nice header, but I, mean, I think I, I, I'm enjoying the fact that he's not scoring lots of goals up there, that's for sure. Well, or or he's, uh, he's scoring them on behalf of City from an own goal perspective. It's uh, so. even better. No, I, I, think I, like, I like Nick's phrase, you know, break glass when needed. I was going to say insurance policy, but that's actually a much better phrase. I think you're right. That you, you, can't, you can't just loan out or get rid of strikers when you don't have – someone coming in you, you have to have them in an emergency roles but I, I think that um, you know again when you have a dude who's frustrated when you have a guy who's supposedly training and not getting a lot of chances and now you're asking him to do one of the most difficult things in sports which is to finish you know finish in soccer I mean that, that's a, such an underappreciated that's why these guys are at a premium that's why they make the money they make and to put him into a role in, in crucial situations against big clubs say, all right now now you're you're the emergency policy go finish i mean sometimes that could bring out the best in a guy but it's a big ask for me and so i i don't i don't know what to make of it i wish there were, were a way to find a 
uh, a better insurance policy or someone who's more reliable and more likely to contribute in January. But I, I, I'm with you. I don't think that's likely to happen. They're looking at other places. Yeah, well, we'll have to see, obviously, what happens. Um, you know, obviously, the hard part is he's a fan favorite just because he's so personal, personable and he's so and he engages with fans so much. But, you know, uh, got to take Well, he scored important goals, yes, too. Like, of let's course. not forget that. No, absolutely. Yes. I mean, he had a great preseason, a great start to the season. But, you know, it's just uh, it's just a manager's preference at this point. So um, any other additional thoughts or comments on this? I know, Chris, you said earlier, uh, Chelsea have won 25 points out of our last 30. That's eight wins, a draw and a loss. Um, you know, Conte said uh, in his post-match conference, he said, quote, someone is forgetting this run because there's a team winning every game. We, I want to remember that in the last 10 games, we won eight games, drew only one game against Liverpool away and lost only one game at West Ham. If someone asked me if I want to sign for this in the next 10, 10 games, I'm ready, end quote. <laughs> I, he'll take 25 out of 30 every 10 games, he said. No, but I think so. I mean, listen, we're, we're we're acting like the only thing that matters is a league title, and it's it's very very tough to do when you're having a team that could be making history up north, uh, having the run they are. But there's more to that. I mean, you you I think what you've done in this run is you you created some separation. It was very very crowded. Uh, what like maybe two through six or seven, and now there's some separation where you you've got you've got a little bit of a cushion approaching the halfway point to just to to guarantee and maintain that you're you're in the top four and. And that's important too, but um, yeah, as we talked about, I, I just don't think you know City were the favorites from the beginning of the season for most, and they're showing why. Uh, Dan, since Maratza has been watching videos of Drogba, you think he'll replicate Didier's new haircut? Oh, absolutely oh, not. No. No. There, there, there is a oh. probably an image uh, clause somewhere in some contract, especially with Sure as a sponsor of the club, that they need his uh, his hair to maintain intact. The flowing locks, yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen, Didier shaved his head, uh, which I think all took us by surprise. No, like, it, uh, like bald, yeah, completely bald. It is, it is some. I mean, like he can all, do no wrong the, for me. I, I don't care what yeah. it is. He can do whatever he wants, man. He's drug, but for me, it's like he's he's an all-time legend. That you know. It, I, I can't criticize him for something like that. That's for sure. <laughs> it, it was just shocking, Chris. Very it it was not. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have it's just shocking image. seeing in the MLS period. But I, I think you know. I, I, hey, listen, you can do whatever he wants. Um, Dan, I think, uh, or I'm sorry, Nick. I think we'll wrap it up with uh, BBC's Match of the Day putting out a bunch of love for Andreas Christensen. Yeah, so passing percentage over the, or passing accuracy percentage over the last seven games, 98% versus Southampton, 98% versus Huddersfield, 88% versus West Ham, which is obviously kind of the blip there, 91% uh, against Newcastle, 100% against Swansea, 96% against Liverpool, and 96% against West Brom. Uh, Dan, is that good or, or is, is, is that bad? It, it's exceptionally good considering it's almost 500 passes. And I think he does Jeez. get a little criticism for potentially it being a back pass or a pass between defenders. But uh, th those, I think, are from individuals, uh, Chris, who might have not watched him play and, and see maybe the forward runs he makes or the you know forward distribution that he does kind of have in his game. And it, I mean, we are set up for so much success in the future by having him as a player who at 21 is playing with the experience and poise of i think some of the most complete defenders in the league i'm glad you brought it up and that that's a that's a pretty those are astounding numbers to sort of back up what you see which is a guy at his age being extremely advanced extremely poised in a position where 
you need that, and, and a team counts on that. I, I think he's been a, a fabulous acquisition. Um, I think Conte's got to be very pleased since one of his, you know, his least favorite guys at the moment is sitting out with a knee injury, and Christensen stepping up and playing very well, and and making you sort of forget that David Luiz is not there, and probably, probably, possibly won't be there again for this club. So I, that that's all good, and I, I look. I hope he, can, he sticks around for a long, long time, Christensen. So. The next partner script, I put a fact and someone followed it up with a subjective statement. So I'd like someone to claim this because I said, Alonzo is the highest scoring defender in the Premier League and someone wrote in, Azpi Laqueta is the best scoring defender. What? Uh, Uh, Best assisting defender, sorry. Like, are you trying to one-up my stat? (laughs) No, no, he's uh, led to the most assists. Um, thanks to the Morata partnership, the uh, the Spanish contingent. Yeah. All right. So, hey, fantasy tips for you guys right there, in case anyone needs any. Um, but yeah. So again, a lot of bright spots in the team. Just you know, it's it's not all doom and gloom, even though City are making it look like uh, an impossible task. So, um, man of the match poll. Before we wrap all this up, we have uh, another three points claimed by the Blues, which means it's time for a man of the match poll, and it's trademarked. I'm really excited about that, guys. Um, who do we, who did we have? So we had uh, Alonzo Maracha's hair product, um, yeah. which holds up under any condition, even with uh, cold rain in a December in London. Uh, Hazard and William Alonzo with forty nine percent, but Murata's hair product very close behind at twenty one percent. And I think Alonzo, beautiful goal, uh, continues to put in uh, some of the most minutes in the club, and uh, you know continues to contribute at a high level. So uh, you, definitely you, deserved. You could almost say the hair product was underrated in this poll. Like I think, <laughs> like it was. I like how I like how William was creeping up on the hair product, but just didn't quite make it. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was close, but. Huh. But, but but you could the hair product could be put out there for every single match though, right? It would always be in the running. Yeah, it's like a helmet, man. I mean that <laughs> thing is locked in. <laughs> All right. Well uh, I've known people in TV that had that same that same look. There's a, there's a few contenders for that. Don't yeah, you can name names if you want. I mean you could <laughs> um, Jesse Palmer's hair is not moving. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> that ma- yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. There's no arguments on all, that. All the beautiful people have this problem. I don't know what yes, it is. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, as the table stands, Man City still with a, a chokehold, 52 points after 18 matches played, oh. 44 goal difference. I mean, it's it's wow. nuts. United in second on 41 points, 11 behind, uh, plus 27 goal difference. Chelsea in third still. So the top three remaining unchanged. Chelsea three points behind United. But then we have Arsenal jumping up to fourth on 33 points. Burnley back to fifth on 32 points. Uh, Liverpool 31, Spurs 31. So that rounds out your top seven. Does it bother you to see Burnley with more points than Spurs? None. none. We are (laughs) so excited. Congratulations, Sean Dyche, uh, who, you know, usually was called the Ginger Mourinho and is now being called, I think, the Ginger Guardiola now that uh, City have been playing so well. But uh, actually, as we were recording, Liverpool hopped back up into uh, fourth there. So pushes Arsenal and Burnley down. Arsenal that, uh, lost their familiar spot, Dan. Oh, it's such a bummer. New, new romance with fifth place in Europa League uh, soccer. <laughs> well, that still puts Burnley over Spurs with their massive plus four goal difference. So, um, 
let's see. Yeah, Liverpool jumped up to four, so that's kind of the change. Uh, so that'll go ahead and wrap up this part. Um, so we're going to do a quick... Uh, we're going to get into some social media questions. We're actually going to do a little bit of a chat and interview with uh, with our guest, obviously. So uh, real quick, Nick, just want to let everyone know about maybe winning a $100 gift card sweepstakes. Yeah, that's right. So World Soccer Shop is doing a, a $100 gift card sweepstakes. It ends on Christmas Day, so you can go to their website and register. Um, it's one of the, the top uh, scrolling panes on their on their landing page. So go check it out and, uh, and yeah, worldsoccershop.com. Boom. Hey, free money. Everyone loves that. Free money. All right, Dan, we've got some questions for Chris now that we've got him on the line. I mean, obviously, for our American audience, a lot of people associate him with, you know, like we say, college football and American football. Uh, so we want to get to know. Wimbledon as well. That's true. The tennis as well. Um, I, I, the tennis. Very, very Thank formal. you for that. Thank you for the, the, the second most global sport after soccer, by the way. Give, give a plug oh, for tennis. Very, very true. Um, but anyway, so Dan, kick us off with some questions about kind of Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, we, we threw out some feelers there into the world. Uh, you know, we did talk before Chris got on uh, or before he started recording about the the value of social media, and uh, thankfully, we got a couple of questions. Uh, first and foremost, I think everyone wanted to know how you've come about to being a Chelsea supporter. We had questions uh, from from Reddit and Instagram from a few of our listeners and. You, know, you, you kind of talked a little bit about it, but we'd love to hear in uh, in the detail how that uh, how that came about. I am no glory hunter. I came aboard the Chelsea train when it was just about off the tracks back in the uh, the mid '80s. I took a post college trip to Europe and ended up in England and Scotland, and and sort of stayed in West London, Chelsea, Kensington area. I didn't really have a team. I grew up watching, you know, soccer made in Germany with the narrator called Toby Charles. That might be before your time, but you didn't get as much Premier League as you got Bundesliga back then. So I didn't really have a, an English team to follow. Um, always loved soccer, but didn't really have a team to support. So I ended up staying in that part of London. Um, it was pretty near Stamford Bridge. And Chelsea was this team that was not glamorous. They were only maybe a few years back in the league after some relegation. They didn't have any money. They were not sexy. They were not battling for trophies. But something about the the part of town they were in, I loved the color. So for all these like very surface reasons, but it, John Hollins was the manager at that point. Uh, remember, there was a guy called Kerry Dixon. Remember him? He was like oh, a, yeah. the, the striker. I don't know how old you guys are. I have no idea what, how far you go back, whether you read Chelsea history. But like, remember all the girls like Kerry Dixon at that point. He was like one of the one of the like hotter athletes, I think, in in London at the time and and um, Gordon Dury a bunch of Scotsmen on that team it was a very weird makeup it wasn't wasn't nearly as international obviously as they are now the budget was much smaller um, but you know Steve Clark I think came along he was one of those Scotsmen when's the last Scotsman who played for Chelsea because they were there were five or six maybe more back then and maybe since Clark was yeah, a might, player might yeah, be I don't know yeah, but but it was so again. There was nothing really that attractive about the football they played, or but but I just sort of gravitated to them. I think you jump on board, and then obviously was thrilled when they began to compete and, and, and rise in the tables and and be relevant. And Rude Hull, it's a guy that you know, I, I got to work with covering the, the World Cup and other soccer competitions for ESPN. So we get we got to talk about his brief time at Chelsea, but he still loves the Blues a lot. And so it's kind of grown over time and. And been lucky enough to be able to, to, you know, travel to the bridge now to see home games, to see 
FA Cup finals to see exhibitions uh, all over the place. And um, it, it's kind of my escape. When you cover sports, you don't really watch sports in the same way. I can't watch American football. I can't watch tennis or other things like that, like a fan. But I'm a complete moronic fan when it comes to Chelsea and other international soccer, sort of the U.S. national team. Um, you know, and, and it's something that it's not well understood by people I work with. My wife doesn't get it. She can't understand why why it can ruin my day when I get up in the morning and watch a game. <laughs> and then how I can be so so loud and so into it. Because that's a side of me that you really don't see very often when you when you work in the business. It it, it mutes your passion a little bit, if that makes sense. And yeah. and but not not when it comes to this. I'm I'm just as uh, as spastic as most fans and invested as most fans. Um especially when I'm lucky enough to see him in person or when I'm watching a big match on TV. My wife's walked through. She says she gets it, but it's just annoying. So that, that <laughs> comes up, you know, she does understand why, why, why it's a, a mood definer on a given day, but she doesn't, under, she doesn't like it or get it. We would like to take this opportunity to quickly plug and say thank you to all of our significant others for putting up with us <laughs> yeah. over the years. I, I, I'm guessing that's, hap- that's something you guys can relate to. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> Good. Um, following up on that, I mean, besides your, your kind of old school, Kerry Dixon uh, fascination, uh, is there a specific player or a group of players that you'd call kind of your favorite um, and, you know, about 25 or 30 years of following the club? Oh, I mean, you have to go to the legends who have been a part of the biggest days in, in Chelsea history. I mean, how can you not respect Petr Cech? How can you not value saving penalties in Champions League finals I think a couple of times and, and, and coming up with, with big stops and shootouts. I mean, I, I will never, I can never dislike him. I don't care where he goes, who he plays for. I know it's tough at times, but I mean, you know, we talked about Drogba. I mean, how could he not be on the Mount Rushmore for, for Chelsea fans? I mean, I think you have to start with those two guys because, I mean, when, when you do things on the grandest stage in the sport, when you contribute in meaningful ways and you come through in the clutch, I mean, you, you do the soccer equivalent of hitting a, a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth you know, in a World Series game. I mean, I, to me, like I said, however Didi wants to cut his hair or not have any hair or do whatever he wants, <laughs> that's fine with me. He's on Mount Rushmore along with Czech. Uh, I think, you know, I mean, Azard is, is, is sort of getting in that position. Um, Costa, for me, wasn't there long enough. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I think that you know you have to have John Terry in there. I mean, you have to respect what what he's done. I mean, come on, let's be real. I, you know, I'll always like Lampard. I mean, I yeah, you know, I, I I think that you know the the guys you associate with that the the Champions League team teams that that won league titles. I mean, that that's. And you can you can point to a bunch of other guys too who are try hard guys who are I mean Matic to me he you know we have, we haven't talked about one of, one of the differences in this year's team one of the voids I just really valued what he brought the 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 control that he exerted the dirty jobs that he did um, the way that he he would come through in big moments as well you know I, I mean I think he's not quite at that same Mount Rushmore level but I, I respect the hell out of what he did for the club and in, in a less heralded role. So. so they would be like the the statues on the walk up. I think Kerry Dixon, just because Kerry Dixon was like a, I think he led the league in scoring one year, and he yeah. he certainly led Chelsea in scoring a few times. And you know, I remember from those early years, um, there was like a little midfielder, Michael, not Hazard, but Hazard, you know, from, 
the English way. And uh, Gordon Dury was one of those was one of the defenders. I think a, a Scotsman. So, I, but those guys wouldn't quite rank up there. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I'd put Dixon in that group because he was the, the the star of the first Chelsea teams that I that I paid attention to. Awesome. Well, do you have a favorite match or, or matches that you've been able to attend while supporting Chelsea? Anyone that kind of stands out is maybe your first or your most kind of special? Yeah, I mean, I think the the most special that I was able to attend in person was actually, believe it or not, the, the first time that I ever went in person to Stamford Bridge. You guys have to understand that a lot of the year that the, the, the English football season, I'm not really able to go over there and attend matches in person. You know, I mean, for many, many years, I did American football right into basketball, right through the final four. And so I was tied up until early April. There was no chance to slip to London um, uh, on a vacation in the middle of the winter to see a game. But I did go uh, three years ago and watch them um, clinch in, you know, get, get the clinching points at Stamford Bridge. And uh, that that I think is because of the nature uh, of of the season, which is not well understood by American sports fans, you know, without a playoff to time it right, to be there exactly uh, when you need the three points and you get the three points to win it, to not back into it by some other result in some other stadium, to actually be there in person to see that happen. It was a very tense game. Didn't score till late. And and um, then to, to, to have the celebration spill out of Stamford Bridge. It was a party afterwards, a victory lap. It was tremendous. Well, you guys, I'm sure you watched it on TV. You, you couldn't have missed it. I mean, it's a very, very cool thing to see it from some sponsor seats that were very close to the pitch and then go to the pubs that are around the bridge and, and be able to celebrate and have celery sticks thrown around. It, it, it was just a really, really cool time. It's an unforgettable sports fan moment for me. So, I mean, hands down in person, that's not just, I mean, I get goosebumps talking about it. It's not just one of the coolest things that I've seen uh, in person as a Chelsea fan. It's one of the coolest things I've seen in person in sports that I haven't worked. You know, I mean, it's right up there with anything just because of, of the different level of involvement and, and lack of detachment you can have when you're a fan as opposed to a commentator. And the fact that it was a, just a th- great three days in, in London. I went, took the tour of the bridge. I'm sure you've done it a few times, but yep. take the stadium tour before you go to the shop, you stock up, you know, you go out, you have, you know, I, I walked all over the place, you know, I was there with some friends, took a friend From to the match. To pub, you know, yeah. Was- I just shared the experience with the guy who <laughs> wasn't really a Chelsea fan, but he wasn't a Chelsea hater. So I, as long as you don't go with a hater, that would ruin everything. I would, I, you know, I had to pare it yeah. down to somebody who lives near there and is somewhat neutral. Okay. That's good enough. And, um, yeah, I went back to the FA cup last spring and was, was pissed off and deflated to watch them start so uh, poorly and uh, care so little in the early stages and lose to Arsenal. Cause I brought a friend, um, a, a Colombian friend of mine, who's a huge Chelsea fan. We flew over there had a great weekend and everything was great about it, except for, except for the first 30 minutes of the game and, and the fact that Arsenal were singing at the end, but, but still it was kind of, it was cool to see an FA cup final in person. I've had the pleasure of seeing a few of them. And, um, you know, I, I sadly, and I wasn't in Munich to see that Champions League final because I typically go to them. I think it's a cool event. If you've ever had a chance, I don't know if you guys have been to Wembley when it's there or Berlin or uh, uh, Lisbon. List, I mean, bucket list. Yeah, no, do it. Do it. it it's, it's freaking amazing. It doesn't matter who's in it. It doesn't matter if it's a Madrid derby. It doesn't matter if it's a team you don't like. 
you know, I, I had no particular feel for Juventus, but their fans made it amazing. I got you know, to see Messi score a goal in a Champions League final, uh, beat United at Wembley. I mean, I, the, the memories uh, are of other soccer games I've been able to see are, are uh, it, it's it's harder for me to get to Chelsea home matches. And I, I didn't go last year because they had already, they were, it was sort of like in the bag. So I didn't want to see a match at home after it had been clinched. I thought, you know what, instead of go to the FA Cup final, proved to be a mistake, as we as we know now. But, um, you know, I, I'm like a lot of people. I got to pick my spots. I can't pop over to London, um, you know, for three or four games a year, unfortunately. You know, one of the things that, you know, as we were kind of preparing this episode, you mentioned the idea of atmospheres kind of either in American sports around the world. And, you know, since you've seen, you know, countless, I think, sporting events, you know, is there a, a stadium or fans that you feel like match up or kind of pair very well to what you've seen kind of from the Chelsea supporters at Stanford Bridge? Well, I mean, I've, I've been lucky to see. I mean, I, I, I don't know. You guys, do you, do you follow like. South American soccer. I mean, if I say Boca Juniors and River Plate, I, mean, yeah. I don't want to insult you, but I mean, no, if, no, if no. you know what that <laughs> if you know what that rivalry is, um, then you'll understand that that it's like a I don't know barbarism is the right word. It's an it's an unbelievable thing to witness a River Plate Boca Juniors game in Buenos Aires, and I, I did that for a while. My wife was like horrified that I would go into that neighborhood, that I would put myself in that position. But there were, it was it was the lunacy that you would see on television if you ever caught one of those matches. You know, it's people climbing a chain link fence, it's 30 feet high with a flare in their teeth and then with and a skull mask on. And you, know, you, you really, uh, Argentine friends and people who were there were actually really concerned. And I, I did take some steps to kind of get, in, get out at the right time. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I mean, that's not how you want Stanford Bridge to be at all. No. You, you, yeah, you don't want to be in fear for your life. But I think it was one of those field trips and life experiences that was kind of worth seeing. Um, I've never seen a game in Old Trafford. I have United. I really despise United. So I'm not exactly the first choice from my United friends to take me, but I, I will go at one point. Um, I suppose there's a possibility I could be there in February when Chelsea play up there. But, um, you know, I, I, there, I have a bucket list, too. I have a long bucket list of, of, of places I'd like to see matches and games. And, you know, I mean, I have to admit that, that Old Trafford's right at the top. Nice. You know, along with along with the Bernabeu and Camp Nou, I've, I've never seen a home Barcelona or Real Madrid match. But that would obviously, and, and anybody who, who likes soccer, you'd have to put that at the top of the bucket list as well. So we have a, a fun question from T Clark twenty three twenty three. Um, since you're known for reporting and commentating in college football uh, within the U.S. for a lot of our audience, uh, we did receive a bunch of questions kind of along this parallel. But uh, the the question is phrased like this: Is it is Antonio Conte uh, the European uh, equivalent to Nick Saban, or who would be the best, or who would be the best comparison if not? Man, I don't know if you could say Nick Saban. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, maybe Sir Alex might have been the Nick Saban, right? If you're yeah, going to go a direct yeah. comparison with kind of world football, just the, the, the number of championships, the complete and utter uh, autocratic rule in the best possible, most successful way, you know? I mean, Conte hasn't been around long enough. I mean, I, I think that um, you'd have to say somebody who's, uh, I don't know, I mean, maybe like Dabo Sweeney. I mean, he's not, he's not the same... Age, he's not youthful, but he's incredibly enthusiastic. Fans love the enthusiasm as much as he'll have any part of his game. Um, he has won a championship, obviously, in a short time, so you put him in there. He, I, I think that 
you know, Sweeney is a lot more of a player's coach than, than Conte is. I mean, it's difficult to judge from afar because I have good access to college football. I don't have the same kind of access inside the training grounds, inside the locker room to see what, what these guys are like with their team and how much how much uh, loyalty they inspire. There's a big difference between multi-multi-millionaires in soccer and college football players. I think we all agree on that and how, how to motivate them and how, how you, you take different approaches with the different kinds of teams. But... Um, you know, I mean, I, he would he would compare very favorably. I think that you know, you, maybe you'd say um, any any coach who's both who's feisty with the administration can be can be can be combated with players, but who has uh, tactical have, expertise and would be respected. I, you know, I have I have one for you that I want to yeah, give me one run by, and that's Harbaugh. Okay. I, I mean, I think that they're like obviously not on the championship side. Harbaugh doesn't have that, but I think like the ability to go out and motivate, I think, would be uh, pretty similar. Well, Harbaugh's a turnaround artist. I'll say that. You know, Conte, you when you win, when you when you go to a change of scenery and you inherit talent, but you push buttons and make moves in a different way and achieve better results. Yeah, that's what Harbaugh's done. Um, not not the championship part yet. I mean, for me, he's got a ways to go. To, to achieve what Conte has done in terms of, of winning one of the most fiercely com- contested trophies in sports. But I like the comparison. I mean, it, it, you, do you think that Conte has the same gift for, for sort of seizing the narrative and shaping what people are talking about, what they're paying attention to? Because Harbaugh has a gift for that, for sure. We'd have to ask our journalist friends that <laughs> because they're they're in the uh, they're in the press conferences every week and I'm sure like, he does things to make them scratch their heads. Yeah, oh, he does that. So yeah. Well, another one we have is kind of on the the college game day theme again. Is Aldemaro on Facebook wanted to see if you could essentially apply the college game day to the Premier League's top six and provide an equivalent for each <laughs> team, but. With Burnley, we might as well throw a top seven out there since uh, they've earned it. So you've got Man City, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Burnley, Liverpool, and Spurs. Do you feel like you have any kind of equivalents from they, they the want, college scene? They want a college a college team equivalent of those. Of those? We, we have very yeah, inventive from like a, listeners, Chris. And uh, personality, style of play, you know, City just running away with it. I don't know if you have that you this don't season, have it. Really. You don't have it this season. I mean, again, the obvious comparison, um, there, there's no dynasty in the Premier League that's possible. Um, but, you know, Alabama, I think with Clemson, the outcome of that semifinal game, and then what happens ultimately in the championship game, if Clemson wins the championship, to me, you know, they've sort of supplanted Alabama at the top right now. There's nobody operating at a higher level than, than Clemson in college football at the moment. But again, a lot is at stake in that, in that semifinal in New Orleans. You know, City reminds me, uh, we have had teams in college football like that. I think City is like one of those USC teams that just couldn't be stopped. You know, the, the Bush liner teams, and you're, when you're scoring 50 a game early and often, killing belief teams walk out on the field with that look in their eye that says please don't hurt us too badly um you know, when you when they wave the white flag before the game's ever kicked off i've seen there have been teams in the history of college football that have been like that but you brought it up dan i think you know, you have to look at historically what's going on right now with city so again it's only a halfway point so this would be like a college football team that's that's five and zero oh and six and zero. Oh, ranked number one, beating everybody by five or six touchdowns. 
and and running away with things. I mean, maybe like Nebraska did. Now, is that good for you? Do you like, yeah, do you like that? Nick? That's what I you're, you're, man. You're waiting for that Nebraska '94, '95. That's what <laughs> city is. No, but that's what city is right now. Greatest team ever. <laughs> Greatest team ever. <laughs> yeah. Then you then want to put, uh, you, know, you know, like scratch, like Burnley would be like what UCF, you know, hanging around, overachieving, having yeah. one of those special seasons. Um, you wonder if they can sustain it. There are plenty of skeptics. There are plenty of doubters. They will be poached just like, you know, Nebraska wouldn't got Scott Frost after, you know, they, they, right. if, if, if they succeed, they will immediately be raided and will that kind of thing. So I, that, that you, but, but everybody loves that kind of plucky team, no matter what the sport. Um, if you're a neutral, you want to see teams kind of rise up and have that kind of year. It's why I, it's why I found people here rooting for Leicester city you know, a couple of years ago. You know, it was, it, it made me sick, but I, I get it. And <laughs> if it wasn't going to be Chelsea, you had to love that story. And that's what we love about college sports too. It's still possible against all odds when there's a huge, huge correlation between personnel and success more than ever before recruiting rankings are corresponding to, uh, People could dispute that, but I think it's a fact. It doesn't mean that you have the best recruiting class, you're going to be national champion, just like it doesn't mean you have the biggest payroll, you're going to win the Premier League. But there is more than ever a close correlation there. So when that's broken down, when some teams that don't have big recruiting classes, when don't have that history, come and threaten for a title, I think it's a lot of fun. I really do. So do you feel there was an equivalent for maybe United or, or Chelsea there that you would give to? United would be Alabama, I guess. You know, they're right now they're they're they're, they're they've been temporarily eclipsed, but it's they can still reclaim a championship. I mean, you know, again, it, just on sheer pedigree, I mean, it's hard to argue with with what United have done. And it, it, the same thing with Alabama, unless you want to make the Notre Dame comparison. Notre Dame comparison would be, you know, more great history in the past but what have you done lately it's been a long time since the irish have won a championship um it's been a little bit of time by by their standards when you say united is going through a, a comparative drought in terms of championships they've been good but not great so, so, you so would that, that comparison too would that make uh notre dame liverpool then oh <laughs> notre dame could be liverpool <laughs> yeah i mean I, you know back back when um liverpool had my uh my my uncle robbie on the team i used to i used to uh, if you remember who robbie fowler was i mean i did i had no other reason <laughs> to like a team so i liked liverpool back then and i still have, I, I still can't dislike liverpool because they kind of work against the northern clubs that i don't like so i, I do have i like seeing liverpool in the top four i like seeing them represent england and in um, international competitions, and I'd I would like to see them, you know, finish in the top four. So I, I have some affection for Liverpool. All right. Well, is that good enough? Uh, I th- uh, no, I, it that's, was. That's I was. I'm an still trying to process, trying to think if there's any chance, like I could sneak. Uh, you know, my team's in there, but there's no, there's no chance. So not for the top six. Um, all right. Well, yeah, that was fun. I we appreciate that, Chris. Uh, I think that real quick, let's go ahead and uh, we'll wrap up the episode with a very brief just look ahead to Bournemouth in the in the League Cup. Uh, but real quick, this is a good time for this uh nick obviously chris was talking about how much fun and enjoyable he's had at being able to go to matches we are going back for the spurs match at the end of march and all of our listeners and anyone who else is interested uh are happy to join us and we've already know that we've got a couple people coming with us including uh eric gonna be 
back on the trip. Yeah, so Eric was with us in, in May and, and had a great time. Glad to have him back for his, his 30th birthday in, in the spring. But um, yeah, anyone, including Chris, is more than welcome to come on this trip. And uh, <laughs> no, we're, we're excited to go back. I mean, uh, Chelsea Spurs uh, at the bridge is a special, special match. We will also have some, uh, some extras included in this and are working on kind of the itinerary. Uh, in in both cases, if if Chelsea do get past Barcelona or don't in the Champions League, there there might be a midweek uh, quarterfinal match at stake as well. So, uh, lots to talk about there. But certainly, if you have any questions or if you're looking to potentially uh, gift somebody the opportunity to go um, uh, over this kind of festive holiday period, uh, just send us a DM or send us an email. Contact at londonisbluepodcast dot com, and we will uh, we'll hook you up with the XL Tours folks. But uh, Brandon, they were tremendous uh for our past trip and and they will be tremendous in march absolutely only really good feedback from the people that have gone hey hey, hey brandon did you hear about the one person who signed up to join us on the trip who uh, i think it was a uh, m clattenberg oh wow <laughs> wow he's coming back huh <laughs> yeah if he, he already had those you know, wonderful comments about the battle of the bridge uh, that that seeped out there so uh, I think he was looking to come back and, and see if he could play a part. Do, do you think yeah, that's the day? What's the date of the game? When in March is that? It's the 31st. 31st. Mm. Oh. If there's any way. I mean, I, I, I do some tennis that time of year, but I mean, certainly like a Spurs home game, that's not just a random match, right? That is something special to see. Uh, there's an energy to it where the standings don't even need to come into play. But uh, yeah, that, that's fun. Well, we'll keep in that's touch it. on that. That would be that would be a blast to be there for that one. Well, and that's exactly why we we picked it, right? You know, if we're yeah. going to go over to to you know London, we're going to make it worthwhile for everyone. So we're really really excited for that one. Um, but okay, let's real quick just touch on Bournemouth because I personally forgot about the league slash Carabao Cup in the standing. So uh, quick refresher: we're in the quarterfinals <laughs> playing Bournemouth. Uh, the other teams still involved are Arsenal versus West Ham, Leicester versus Man City, and Bristol City taking on Manchester United. Uh, obviously, Bournemouth are right around the drop zone in 16th right now. Um, Eddie Howe show isn't going as great as, as they would have liked. You know, we do have a couple former Chelsea players there in Begovic and Ake. But Nick, um, you assume quite a bit of rotation like we've seen from Conte before. Musanda has played. Kennedy has played. Caballero has played in this competition. Uh, he definitely uses it to get the fringe people some time. Yeah, I mean, this is an opportunity uh, you would certainly feel like for, you know, drink water to come in, perhaps Ampadu, um, looking at Rudiger, um, you know, if, if David Luiz was healthy, he might he might play, but it appears that he is not. So uh, this is uh, this is a really good opportunity to um, give Hazard, Murata, N'Golo Conte, Dave, you know, that kind of core group of, of players that are the spine of this team uh, a bit of a rest. Um, and then also give, you know, the Musandas of the world their chance to shine and, and do the business. So uh, I'm actually pretty excited for this match. I think that, you know, we, we've looked at our downloads in the past, Chris, and I think people are really excited about any time there's a chance that youth team players get a going to make an impact. No, I, I agree with that. I think that, that that's why there's kind of parallel tracks. I mean, you know, you, you don't give them the opportunity um, 
you don't want to fail the quarterfinal stages of a cup like that, but you, you need to be prudent about it. Um, you know, how, how will Bournemouth approach it? To me, that's also part of the equation because you know they're they're going to come off an absolute drubbing today against Liverpool. I mean, hammered, embarrassed. Um, you know, the, the Begovic, you would assume he'd be in there. I mean, how, how he will want to play well against Chelsea. Um, you would think Defoe, who could, continues to struggle, hit the post today in that loss. I mean, I, I think it does matter how, how Bournemouth come out. And if you catch them, if they're inspired for this kind of a thing, where as opposed to a, a regular Premier League match, I don't, you know, it's a little bit of an unknown. But I mean, Chelsea may have to work for it. I, I, don't, I wouldn't presume they're going to go in there and dominate from the start. Um, just because you're, you're facing a side that's been just humiliated at home uh, today. Dan, anything you want to throw in on this? I mean, maybe Bournemouth are going to rest some people too. Since they're struggling in the league, they you know probably don't want to put too many resources towards the League Cup. Yeah, they're they're in a bad spot. You know, just a point above the relegation zone right now. Uh, only Newcastle, West Brom, and Swansea behind them at the moment. Haven't won a game in their last five matches. So they're in a rough spot. And I think with with the league, Premier League, a little out of sights maybe for us right now, some of that Conte realism might, you know, kind of shine in. And we might go at this pretty hard, I think, to, you know, notch in a really good result initially, get a couple goals, and then be able to make some subs at the, you know, 55th, 60th minute and get some players some rest and rotation. But I, I, don't, I don't know if I necessarily foresee the lineup being heavily rotated to start i think you know conte is going to want to win something this season and uh, this i think is a prime example of an opportunity to do that you 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 outlined the best case scenario didn't you i mean you go out there and you know both win comfortably and get rest if you can do that that's awesome i mean i i, I would i would hope they don't sleepwalk in and take it lightly because i i'm you're right Bournemouth's in a terrible position but that doesn't mean that they're dead on arrival in this particular match they may come in with some inspiration i would think their fans would be uh angry walking out of there today to you reassemble against a big club from London and um, Wormouth, by the way, is a beautiful place to visit in better weather. Not this time of year. I mean, this time of year, you <laughs> want to go down there and just, you know, do your job and get out. But it's very nice, very nice place in the summer. If you've ever been down there, because it's on the, on the, on the shore there, a nice beach. But uh, I go in there with a, with a, with a cold business attitude to me and just, and, and, and get a lead quickly and then, and then get rest. That, that's the best case scenario. Well, the last time we played in the League Cup, we played Everton, which is another Premier League team. And I know they were really struggling then. But our lineup was Caballero in goal, uh, Cahill, Rudiger, Christensen, Drinkwater, uh, Ampadu, Kennedy, Zapacosta, Musanda, and then William and, and Batshuayi. So we're in the 3-4-3 again. But as you can see, quite a few changes uh, in that lineup. And it was a Premier League team. So um, I think that since it worked that time, um, Conte will go ahead and do it again so maybe we'll see Ampadu Kennedy Musanda some of those guys Mishi I think he's a shoe in to get in mm-hmm. same with Caballero because that's the only time uh that Courtois isn't gonna play uh so and, I don't know and one for substitution because Alonzo will be out after receiving his fifth yellow card of the season so he, uh, he, does, he does get a break there yeah, I would quickly say, like, I think maybe the flip side of Chris's point, um, this is also a chance for silverware for Bournemouth. So, I, you know, I don't know how much we should underestimate them, uh, even though their their form isn't great right now. I think 
anytime a team that is kind of come back from the depths like they have and almost being uh, in administration and not being able to uh, financially support their own club, uh, then making it all the way back into the Premier League and staying up for three seasons and having more stable financial footing, I think that they probably want to go for a trophy um, and kind of you know complete the Cinderella story. So there, there's a possibility that they come out guns blazing uh, on, on Wednesday and we just have to be prepared for that. Must be quite bizarre to, to play uh, uh, as a Chelsea player or any big club. I, they they have to have one of the smallest grounds in the league, right? I mean, I, I think it, it, eleven thousand. Eleven thousand. I was going to say eleven, twelve thousand. I mean, it's it's quite bizarre to to play in a stadium that size. Texas high school football stadium. Yeah, bigger. exactly. We were talking to Stanford Chidge about it when he was on earlier, and he's he said it should be criminal to have a stadium that small in the Premier League. They just divert their money towards other things in the club and don't want to build a new stadium. So it uh, that, that stadium has been around since the twenties, I think. Right? It's it's, an, it's absolutely ancient. I mean, literally, it's like a, almost a century old. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know, but if that's the case, then someone needs to step in and help them out. Uh, but thankfully, like you said, games are coming thick and fast, Chelsea fans, so you're not going to have to wait very long at all to get your next fix of Chelsea. Uh, definitely a lot of excitement around the lineup and who Conte chooses to take on Bournemouth in the League Cup. So with that being said, we're going to wrap up this episode uh, real quick. We do have a special round of final thoughts. But before that, Chris, you know, as always, we just want to say thank you uh, for taking the time on your Sunday to hang out and chat Chelsea with us. No, it's my pleasure, guys. I enjoyed it. I, I came in from came in from the pool here uh, to uh, to spend an hour and a half with you talking soccer. Again, something else my wife doesn't understand, but you know she'll, <laughs> she'll get over it. So I can, I'm down in Miami. I can head back outside. But but I, I enjoyed the time. It went by really quick. And and uh, I'll, I'll post a link and you know whatever whoever Chelsea fans that are that that uh, are are you know within my social media reach will will try to steer me your direction. But keep up the great work. No, really appreciate it. Absolutely Thank pleasure. You. And obviously, if you are living under rock or you're new to college football, Chris, uh, your social media, what's your Twitter handle so we can give them a follow? Uh, it is CB Fowler. And uh, Instagram is uh, Chris B. Fowler. But but I, I don't really post Insta Chelsea related stuff. But I will I will uh, post a link here. And, um, you know, the thing is, he. As much as I'd like to do the day in day out of the club, it really annoys my American football fans for me to play too much <laughs> soccer. And we do we do have to be we do have to be you know conscious of the customer. So uh, they, they get really annoyed when I get too soccer heavy. So I, I do limit it to kind of key moments. But okay. yeah. No worries. Well, and like I said, you know, we'll we'll maybe open some people up to the fun side of American college football as and well. Tennis. So, and, and tennis. <laughs> we'll as see well. at the Rose Bowl. That's my next gig in, in passing in New Year's Day. So, I'm get the semifinal fun. there. Yeah, so fun. All right. Well, uh, special thanks time for our final thoughts. Um, Dan, I think you want to kick this one off? Yeah, you know, we, we've been trying to find different additional ways to contribute across uh, different platforms from our social media to our website and you know, even to how we produce the show. And we want to take a moment to thank a couple people. Uh, I'm going to thank uh, Mike, who's a member of the Rainier Blues. Uh, he actually went on our last trip with us and has been doing some some kick-ass uh, contribution <laughs> from a uh, <laughs> an editing standpoint. Uh, um, if you see some of the uh, images that have come out recently or they're, you know, the 12 Days of Chelsea for Christmas have been fantastic in addition to some of the match 
uh, related content has been fantastic. So thank you for that, Mike. Yeah. Mike, Mike's been the guy who did the outcast album. He's, he photoshopped Chris Fowler and us on the set with him. Uh, appreciate it, that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Mike, uh, Mike has, thank you, yeah, Mike. My, Mike's been a legend for us. So really appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to thank Navaneeth, uh, who's been our, uh, basically our website editor um, for the last couple of years and has been kind of corralling other writers to, to write for our website and has been doing a really good job. A guy that's kind of gone under the radar. So just a quick thanks to Nav. And then for me, obviously, it's Corey. 38 Blues. It uh, does all of our intro, outro music. He is always sending me new stuff. Uh, I love it. I appreciate it. Uh, so pretty much just as a thanks to those three in particular, but obviously our entire community. Uh, this wouldn't be possible without everyone's support. So thank you so much. We got to wrap it up, Chelsea fans. So until next time, keep the blue flag flying high. If you don't want the conversation to stop, Make sure to follow the London is Blue podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to support the pod, you can leave a five-star review in iTunes or donate on Patreon.com. The London is Blue podcast, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com.